Support for Think Humanities is brought to you by the Spalding University School of Creative and Professional Writing. Think Humanities, a podcast for people who love history, philosophy, culture, literature, civic dialogue, and the arts. Think Humanities from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's story for 50 years. Here's your host, Bill Goodman. Welcome to Think Humanities. We discuss a variety of topics on the podcast on a weekly basis. Oftentimes, there is a history theme uh, because of our interest in books and reading. The topic of books and writing, authors and writers come up on a regular basis. It's been some time since we conversed with a, a guest who is a member of our Kentucky Humanities Board of Directors. The board is a diverse group of individuals. There are 23 in all. Five are appointed by the governor. 18 are members of the public at large, and half of the 18, nine of them, should be involved in some field of the humanities, teaching, historians, librarians. There is a variety of uh, really fine folks who make up that part of our board of directors. Today, we are joined by a relatively new member of our board. Andrew Reed is a professor at the University of Pikeville in Pikeville, Kentucky, And we're so happy to have him on the board and on the podcast today. Andrew, welcome. Thank you, Bill, for having me here. I really appreciate it. So school is out uh, as we record this and summer is underway. Uh, Was it a successful uh, post-COVID semester for you? Yes, it it was. It was. It was a good semester and it it was post-COVID because I had COVID in in fall 2021. So it was it was post-COVID for me, not for others, but it wasn't, you know, fall was we had more issues, I think, than we did in the in the winter. Uh, And so uh, it was a good semester and uh, had some great student films that were made, put on our film festival, um, our eighth film festival we've put on at UPike and uh, had a great year. Well, let's talk a little bit about that first. We'll just start with uh, with what you're teaching, and um, we'll uh, kind of go back then about your growing up and uh, being uh, from another state and that sort of thing. But, you know, we hear so much about uh, kids, uh, young people today uh, wrestling with uh, anxiety and um, uh, nervousness and uh, finding their place in the world, uh, certainly since uh, COVID. Um, tell me about your students and, and what you found when when you got back to regular classes and you could uh, see them once again. I'm assuming that this last semester you might have been hybrid, but uh, you were uh, interacting with students a little bit more, weren't you? Oh, yeah. Um, the uh, first comeback year after the shutdown, I was remote for a good portion of the year because my wife was pregnant uh during that whole time period so i was basically remote until the vaccine came out then i went back to teaching and thankfully the numbers dropped then anyways but um i was uh back for you know uh, fully in-person teaching for most of my courses some have always been online uh but i was i was back and it was great to see students students were eager uh to have in-person instruction in-person help um, there, there's a lot of neat tools that are available for online instruction and it can go well and it can be a useful tool, but I, I personally feel like in-person teaching, uh, is better, uh, for the students, 
uh, if they if they can make it work for their schedules to come to in-person classes, I think it's better for them. I think we get better relationships that way. I also think it's less time consuming. I found I personally found myself dealing with lots of questions and emails and technical problems at random hours at night when students were finding time to work and on weekends. So I, 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 I in the future, the less online teaching I, I have to do, I think the happier I'll be. <laughs> Did you find that students were um, a little bit more anxious? Um, uh, their mental conditions had been shaken just a bit throughout uh, the entire COVID experience? I think uh, I think yes to varying degrees. Um, I think most of the students are just ready to to be back um, and and be in person. Um, I had a lot of great uh, help from my students uh, in terms of keeping our classroom and environment safe. You know, it was hey, if you get sick, just don't come to class. I'll excuse it. You don't know if it could be COVID or not. You know, until you get tested, and even then, it may still be. You know, so. And I said, you know, I've got a new baby at the house. So it was smooth in that regard. And students, for the most part, fall, you know, they follow the rule protocols. I ended up not even getting COVID on campus, just some random person I knew that I had contact with came down with it like an hour after I met talked with them for a while. So that's just, you know, but um, we had a lot of great uh, experiences in the classroom. And I, I think uh, the, the I feel for the students that haven't had a normal year you know, that came out of high school um, in full online teaching mode. And um, I feel for them the most. Um, uh, most of the students that I'd had before in normal years, you know, adapted pretty well to being back. Um, but I, I think, you know, I have a, you know, I, I think for the most part, my students were all functioning really well um, coming out of this thing, um, you know, so that was good to see. Andrew, tell me about your um you're growing up and uh, uh, living in another state and, and finding your way to Pikeville, Kentucky. But let's start uh, when you were in Alabama. Yes, sir. So I grew up in a very small town in Alabama called uh, Phil Campbell. We moved there when I was five. It's where my mother was originally from. And my, my father was also from North Alabama. He lived just an hour away, grew up in a small uh, community uh, called uh, Caddo uh, near Decatur. Uh, and so we grew up there. That's where I, I lived from the age of five till about 20 years old. Um, and uh, it's a small town with only three traffic lights. Uh, we have a Piggly Wiggly. Uh, we had, I think, one restaurant in the city limits uh, for a long time. And uh, then uh, not long later, we got a Dollar General. And uh, the the running gag was that the the biggest town near us russellville the the joke was that they always thought they were better than us because they had a walmart <laughs> so no but uh no everybody from russell's was well great. tell me about the uh, the name yeah so the name phil campbell it's an interesting name for a town because it's a person's name it was founded by a man who uh was coming through and built a, a railroad depot in the town they said if they built a railroad depot there they named the town after him and he he did Ironically, he moved on and became mayor of Sheffield, Alabama, which is about an hour away. So he was never mayor of his namesake town, but he decided to be a mayor an hour away. So uh, I thought that was intriguing. Um, but yeah, it's a unique town. Um, and uh, I'm a filmmaker, and that eventually became uh, part of the story of my first feature length film that I ever made. Well, we'll uh, we'll talk about that a little bit yeah. later, um, <laughs> uh, uh, Phil Campbell. Um 
did uh, you study uh, in, in that small town in your uh, school, in your high school? Were, were you a filmmaker at that time were you, or, or a still photographer or did you have an interest in it at that time? I actually did not. I did not get interested in video production until I want to say it was Christmas 2014 when I got a mini DV camcorder from my parents for uh, as a Christmas present. And little did they know that that was going to basically make my whole career. Um, I, for the longest time, had had a big interest in technology, in computers, in video games. Um, I did computer repair work independently on the side. I would take calls, go fix computers for people. I would do things like that. Um, but I love technology. I also love drawing. I loved art. Uh, and um, I got this camera for my senior year and uh, for the second half of my senior year. And I took it to New York and I made a like a kind of a documentary of sorts about our senior trip to New York. It was an hour long, edited and gave people copies and set it to music and they really enjoyed it. And they were like, Oh, you should do more of this, you know? And, and I think after that, I got into making uh, goofy comedy videos with, with friends uh, trying to make, you know, comedy videos and YouTube had just launched. Uh, we built a comedy website and videos and articles. And we, we tried that for a while. And I felt like we had uh, some interesting content, but it didn't really take off. And um, I, I got hired uh, while I was at community college. I'd been going for about a month in a, getting an associate's in art degree. I was on a scholarship and for drawing. And uh, there was this place called the Advanced, the Alabama Center for Advanced Woodworking Technology. And I know what it was, but it was right behind the college. And basically what their goal was, they were promoting the secondary wood manufacturing industry. So that's like finishing and painting and all that stuff. And they had an elaborate video production studio. They were creating instructional videos for companies like Mohawk Finishing Products, um, not the hairstyle, but the company. Uh, and so uh, I got hired on there to help edit instructional video content. And I also started doing wedding videography around that time, too. One of the uh, people that work, worked there said, would you be available to video my daughter's wedding? And so I did that. And then I got referred to do other weddings. And so I started doing that. And I didn't really get into filmmaking, uh, film film, until till, uh, 2008 when I went to the University of North Alabama. Uh, and that's where I major, majored in entertainment media production. Uh, and learned a lot more about audio mixing and, and directing and, and screenwriting. And, and that's when I really started to make what I felt like were my first films. And then I went to graduate school, went to the University of Alabama for a master's in telecommunications on a fellowship, um, made some films while I was there. Uh, between that time, uh, after that time, I went back and adjunct in my undergrad teaching film production there. And I made my first feature length documentary called I'm with Phil. And then I went to the University of North Carolina at Greensboro to, for two years to get an MFA and uh, continued making short forms, documentary work there and short fictional films. And uh, then I took a job at University of Pikeville where I took over uh, the film program, which had just started two years prior. And now it's in its 10th year. So it just finished its 10th year. So wow. that's my, the quick, quick version of my story. Uh, uh, not talking a lot about individual projects, but, you know, that's kind of where my career's been i have a lot of experience in independent video production uh, and doing uh weddings i think i've shot 65 weddings uh or so i've lost count and then i've just done a lot of little uh concerts and and things like that uh, on top of my uh, documentary films i've, I've made 
Well, there's a lot there. Let me go back and revisit some of those uh, uh, highlights. Uh, when when you were first, uh, you said that YouTube had just started. Was that re- really the only platform that was available to um, to amateur filmmakers and maybe professional filmmakers uh, also at that time? I remember when we were building our site, like we could host the, we were hosting the videos for a while. You would download the video off the website if you wanted to watch it. And so then YouTube came out and I was like, oh, well, they'll host the video. So that's, you know, saves bandwidth and it's cheaper that way. And so we, we put content on there. And I think there were other humor video sites at the time or shortly after. I remember a few coming out that would that had content and we would upload to there but youtube was 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 really neat it was really neat to be able to be there right at the beginning on top of it even though we didn't really have a lot of success um it was really neat to be able to kind of be a part of that and see where that started and i I wish things had worked out because i felt like we we you know had the potential um and the drive but it just didn't just didn't work out um for whatever reason. And so, um, you know, and I think too, I, I wasn't as mature as I was back then. And, uh, you know, I don't know, I grew up on a lot of SNL and mad TV and I don't know, we, <laughs> you know, just trying to figure out what was funny and what wasn't and satire was some people, you know, would make a satire satirical video and, you know, maybe it wouldn't play right or people would misinterpret it. And that was a problem and some stuff I'd made that wouldn't make now, you know, um, what did you find at North Alabama? Apparently they had a, 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 pretty sophisticated, uh, department that, that you got involved in. So, yes. So, um, at the university of North Alabama, they had, um, a film program there. Uh, historically it had been read, ran by doc, Dr. Edward foot, uh, very knowledgeable man of film history. Um, he wasn't actively producing films though. And I think we've kind of seen a, I don't know if I want to say a transition, but I've seen a greater importance right now in universities that are hiring film professors. I think we still, there's still a place for the person that is, you know, got a PhD in film studies. I think that's integral. That's important. But in smaller programs, I think students really want to just focus on making films. You need theory to undergird that, but they really want somebody that makes films. And so um, Dr. Foote, I can't remember if he retired my senior year or not, or if he was still there, but they just hired additional faculty. But uh, the university hired Mr. Jason Flynn uh, from ironically the same place that I ended up getting my MFA, University of North Carolina at Greensboro. He, re- he recommended me for that. Um, and so he came in and he had more of an emphasis on making the films and as uh, you know, he still was liked film theory, film studies, but his big thing was getting us out there and making films, getting more equipment for us to, 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 to make things more up-to-date equipment. And uh, the program at UNA grew dramatically, I think, after he took over in terms of the technical equipment they had and what they were doing in the studio space. And he, he did a lot there, and it's in good, good hands now uh, as he's been succeeded by, by two other people after his passing. Uh, and so uh, it's, it's a really great program. They have a film festival there that I think is 30-plus uh, years strong now, the George Lindsay UNA Film Festival. George Lindsay was a uh, goober on uh on andy griffith's show and why, so, why was it named after goober um george Lindsay, i believe is from i think he's a una graduate i want to say mm-hmm. he's his strong connections to the area and so it's named after him because he's he was kind of the school's most successful alum in the film industry yeah. and he might have also left them some money for the Possibly. for the school Possibly. yeah um what what do you learn in a film theory class or the study of, of, of film? 
Okay, so when you're when you're looking at studying film, there's kind of two sides. Well, you could uh, there's at least two sides to the coin. Uh, film production, which is like, how's a camera work? Let's turn on the camera. Okay, here's here's Adobe Premiere, Final Cut. Here's how to edit. Here's here's how to use transitions. But then the in the in the theory side, um, you're learning. You're first kind of learning about film history, and then you're learning about how films communicate meaning. What tools are available to you to communicate meaning uh, in terms of uh, what does this angle say? You know, does the, this low angle gives the character, uh, you know, power as we look up at them? They look, they look powerful. They look strong. You learn about things like that, how meaning is communicated. You may learn about lighting and the impact it has and different lighting styles and techniques and what that does, the use of music, how that works. Um, you look more at those kind of aspects. I, I'm particularly very interested in documentary theory. I, I read, a, uh, I've read a lot of uh, books uh, on that. Uh, Bill Nichols is a uh, individual that writes a lot about documentary film style. Uh, they call it modes of representation. And there's a lot of interesting theoretical discussion about, you know, what is, what is reality in terms of a documentary film? You know, what is it real? Are they true? Or, you know, what is, how do we define that? Because it might, it's kind of simplistic to say they're, they're quote, true. Uh, they're representations of, of the real, not really real in and of themselves. So do you, you have, have a, there. <laughs> I'm sure you have a, a favorite uh, uh, or a series of favorite documentaries that uh, you probably use in your class. Uh, and, and this is not a documentary, but uh, just because I got in a uh, Watergate nostalgic uh, mood uh, and I've, when, when I was teaching, I always showed it to my class uh, teaching journalism uh, that, that uh, All the President's Men was a film that I, was history and uh, for the most part uh, based on the book and, and, uh, and true to in most areas. But I also saw uh, the other night, and I just saw it uh, again for the umpteenth time, probably half a dozen times, the, um, a lot of uh, lighting. Now, this is a, a movie that was uh, produced in uh, the 70s. So, uh, I mean, you, you're going back uh, a long time. I mean, Kentucky Humanity is celebrating its 50th anniversary, uh, as you know, this year. Uh, uh, Watergate is 50 uh, years old uh, this year. Uh, that film is uh, is 48 years old or 46 or seven or something like that. But I just noticed the other night uh, a lot of uh, different uh, mood lighting, uh, a lot of uh, uh, different music compared to the way you would maybe make that film today. And uh, so in in all of that, I guess, do you show your students uh, what, what are your favorite documentaries uh, that you show them? And can you name a couple that we could write down and and uh, and find and, and watch? Um, yeah, sure. So one of my favorite there's a lot of favorite films and we show clips from lots of different ones. Um, my probably my favorite documentary is um, Stevie uh, by. Um, Steve James. Uh, it is about a uh, young man that he was, he used to be um, a big brother to and big brothers, big sisters, uh, but then later gets into some legal trouble for a crime he might have committed, a very serious and disturbing crime. Um, but it's a film that's made in an attempt to understand the psychology of the subject. 
and it also involves the filmmaker having somewhat of a presence on the on screen uh there is a personal connection there and so i, I like that film a lot it's it's almost three hours i think it's two and a half hours uh but he also made um uh Basque, um what was it called not basketball diaries um hoop dreams hoop dreams oh uh, that yeah. other documentary so, so uh -huh. he made that as well and um it's very long uh, so um now, nowadays those would be uh those would be uh docs that are split into parts you know on streaming huh. uh, another yeah. good one mm -hmm. that my students yeah. don't watch as much but i think the audience would enjoy is country boys on pbs yeah uh, it, it's a it's a series um the filmmaker's name escapes me right now but i think he he made some other films what's on the uh what's it about follows two boys growing up in i believe it's appalachian towns uh it you know as they reach maturity i think it was shot in like the early 2000s mm -hmm. or so um but two very different boys growing up in in poverty trying to kind of escape escape that um uh, but it, i like that long form kind of thing where you get to know people and we we like to show show different kinds of documentary films talk about style because um you can you can have a story that you want to cover but you need to figure out what approach you should use in order to tell it you know for example historical documentaries uh, like you might see on on PBS, you know, uh, quite often uh, you might like, uh, you know, the on the Civil War, Ken, Ken Burns, you might see a lot of interviews with historical experts, uh, photos that move on screen. There might be a narrator, whereas if there's a story going on right now in the now, I might say, hey, go film that, you know, in an entirely different way. Go out there, just follow, spend time with these people you know talk to them hit record when interesting stuff starts to happen you know um also you know are you going to engage with the subject and film that are you going to ask them questions or are you just going to film what happens and be a fly on the wall that's called direct direct cinema uh so there's all these creative choices and styles and different ones work for different types of uh, films or different types of scenes a lot of modern documentary filmmaking will have a combination of styles you'll you'll have some scenes where you're just filming people but not interacting with them you're just letting it play out on screen and then you'll have other parts of the film that same film where maybe you're doing sit down interviews that are well lit and you know you have 20 questions you go through for two hours so uh modern documentary filmmaking a lot of times is a combination of different stylistic choices it's all about what approaches you want to do to tell the best story and get your points across i've joked before that it would be really hard to make a true direct cinema film where you don't interact with the subject if your subject's like a mountain man living all on all along by themselves they can't talk to you they can't acknowledge you're there so how do you communicate their story right so there's there's certain uh forms that have strengths and weaknesses and some are better for different topics than others so is the term cinema verite still uh popular and is it taught and is it uh how, how do you define cinema verite I define cinema verite based based on the people that have taught me as using the camera to provoke a response, uh, and I would describe that as you asking questions of people, right, and getting their response. Whereas direct cinema, you're just filming stuff; you're not interacting. That's how I would delineate that. Mm -hmm. um, that's how I was taught it. Um, there are others that might disagree a little bit with that, but. But I, I, uh, you know, two, they're op, they're very different. Even though they're, you know, they're both documentary styles. I think they're very different. But in modern documentary filmmaking, you see a combination of both, in most cases.
How interested are your students, uh, obviously interested in filmmaking or they wouldn't be in your class, but how interested are the students in in making uh, films and, and, and documentaries um, about their life or about something else that they're interacting with? What what is um, has that changed in in your lifetime and in your teaching that some of the things that you were interested in early on are you you see in your students today? You know, um, since YouTube kind of started when in 05 ish, um, when I was graduating high school, you know, I didn't really get into teaching film until in 2009 or 10. I taught a class at the University of Alabama. So by that time, you know, streaming uh, and YouTube personalities and that kind of thing was was a thing. And so since I've been teaching uh, since, you know, I've been teaching since oh, uh, 2010 or 09, I can't remember. Um, so it's it's been a long time now, um, uh, 13, 14 years. So in that time, we've always had, you know, YouTube channels and that kind of thing. I think that over time, I've seen more students that were wanting to pursue filmmaking through those avenues. And when I say they have YouTube channels, a lot of them are, are making films on their YouTube channel. They're not just getting on there and talking, you know, and vlogging or that kind of thing. They're actually making legitimate film content, but they're just getting out, getting out there on YouTube. That's how they've chosen to reach, try to reach their audiences. And, and so I, I don't think that's really changed since I was in teaching, but you know, if you went back and had a film class in 2004, you know, there, there wouldn't be that, you know, you wouldn't have people trying to, or a good chunk of your students trying to make it, you know, there was no YouTube. So, so, um, but I, I kind of came out on the scene, I guess, right after this new epoch and in, <laughs> in how people are approaching all that. So in this new paradigm shift. So uh, most of my students, so I, I, I kind of describe, describe them. So, you know, a lot of our half over half our students are in athletics at UPike. So a good chunk of my students are interested in, in broadcast journalism as it relates to sports journalism, filming and covering games. So broadcasting is a big part of our program. We have a newscast that we do. Um, and then a, 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 probably another third of the students are kind of more interested in creating content online on YouTube channels as a way to reach people. It's in and, and the, their style. It's it's films. You know, it's just that's how they're reaching people. Uh, and I'm fine with that. I'm cool with that. It's a, it's a forms of, it's a form of expression. Um, and you can create some really interesting and engaging content on there on, on YouTube. Um, I watch a lot of YouTube myself. Uh, and then the other third, I think are students that are more interested in, in fil traditional filmmaking, fictional or documentary. Uh, but the big thing that I try to do with my program is get everybody uh, well-rounded and, and then kind of, they specialize in what they want to later on, because I, I believe it's a good thing to get your feet wet in a lot of areas because sometimes you don't know what you want to do with your life until you try. That was my case. I never thought too, I'd be a documentary filmmaker, but I love documentary production. Personally, I find fictional production, uh, such a headache. It is, it is, it is, uh, it is rewarding and it's challenging, but it's, you have to, you know, you have to really, really, really do a lot of things to make it work. And it's oftentimes sometimes impossible for a person, one person to do it alone. Uh, you know, creating an indie film, it's, it, you have to have the time or you, well, you have to have oftentimes uh, to actors and you, you have to pay people if you want to get them. And so uh, with documentary filmmaking, I can do a one person crew and I can find an interesting subject. I can work out a time, show up 
Whereas with a fictional production, I got to work on cast and crew call times. It's just too, too much work for oftentimes for one person to do. Um, and so I've found the times I've done fictional productions that were kind of large, I found them to be more, feel more like work than art. <laughs> if that made yeah. We're documentary filmmaking. It's a free flowing process. I feel like I, I'm just getting to know people and documenting their lives and making engaging films that are trying to get to understand somebody, you know, that's that I love documentary filmmaking. I'm talking with uh, Andrew Reed, a, uh, a member of our Kentucky Humanities Board of Directors, a, a professor at the University of Pikeville in Pikeville, Kentucky, a documentarian, a, uh, as you can uh, hear, a filmmaker, and uh, we're going to take a pause here and come back. I'm going to ask him about TikTok, and I'm going to ask him about his film uh, named Phil Campbell, and we'll be right back after uh, this fine word from Spalding University, where at their MFA program, they also teach some of the same things that uh, Andrew went through, such as filmmaking and and screenwriting, and um, uh, as well as all genres of writing. And we'll be right back after this word from Spalding. At Spalding University's low residency MFA in creative writing, serious writers thrive with one-on-one -on -one faculty attention in a supportive community. Study fiction, poetry, creative nonfiction, writing for children and young adults, where writing for TV, screen, and stage stay at Louisville's historic Brown Hotel during week-long residencies or travel to Paris for short-term study abroad. Flexible scheduling and affordable tuition put a top-tier MFA in reach. Learn more at spalding.edu forward slash writing or email schoolofwriting at spalding.edu. Andrew, um, of um, all the things that that um, continue to amaze me, uh, video, audio-wise, um, uh, this TikTok phenomenon, uh, and I, I'm sure that a, a lot in some in our audience uh, don't even know what that is. And and frankly, I guess it's just been recently, the last couple of years or so, that that I even heard the term. How, how do you define TikTok? Uh, TikTok, TikTok is a uh, platform uh, that is used to uh, host and propagate uh, short form video content, uh, co content. The biggest difference to me <laughs> with content shot on TikTok is you're shooting it in this aspect ratio up and down versus content on YouTube is primarily shot, <laughs> um, you know, in landscape style. Um, but uh, with TikTok, there is a bigger emphasis on short form, shorter work. Uh, and so that unfortunately can also mean work of less substance or, you know, maybe there is substance to it, but it, there is substance to it, but it's shorter. Um, I, I've, um, me personally, uh, I don't really use it. Um, I, I think I downloaded it one time, made an account. People send me videos they find on TikTok sometimes and I'll watch it. Um, but I've, I've tried to limit the amount of social media stuff I do and, um, uh, be very intentional with it. So like I use Reddit, but I subscribe to the exact things I want to follow. Um, and so the, they're all things I'm interested in hobbies and things. And so um, I try to limit that. And uh, um, but it's, it's an interesting platform and yeah, there's, there's, you know, people are very interested in using it and I'll say it's an important, it should be an important part of any marketing strategy for a, uh, a company. 
Um, I'm an MBA, by the way. I did an MBA at, at my university where I teach UPike. Uh, I did the uh, in-person program there, and I've always had an interest in business. And if you're going to be in video production, you have to learn business. And so TikTok is a very important platform right now if people are wanting to reach an audience. Um, is, uh, is, is Reddit another platform? Um, so Reddit is a social media platform. Um, it, basically, there are, they call them subreddits, but these are discussion forums that you can subscribe to and so when you go to the site on your main feed you see the best post best posts from the forums that you've subscribed to uh-huh. and so um historically there's a knock against reddit because they do have some content that is not not appropriate i guess you could say for lack of a better word but the same can be said of facebook and everything else and so there's yeah. there's a lot of very informative and interesting uh, subreddits that you follow, whether it's some like virtual pinball that I'm really interested in, or, uh, you know, anything with editing and stuff like that. So it's a great resource of information. Um, and so I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of that, um, that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, and social media can be good to keep up with friends and family. Um, the endless scrolling is the, is the threat to, uh, uh, our, uh, all society. I think the addiction yeah. to endless scrolling is a problem. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, that's, uh, you know, it's, uh, you, I want to hear your thoughts on how difficult it is for all of us. Um, and, and I speak personally or speak uh, for Kentucky humanities in a way that says that, um, I mean, we, we have a, a couple of two or three platforms that we use. We don't have a large following there, uh, for, uh, obvious reasons, but but um, uh, let me just zero in on um, uh, again TikTok because uh, of what they do now called uh, uh, Book Talk, uh, which uh, is apparently uh, just exploding or has already exploded across um, the country, especially for young people, uh, people who read young adult uh, novels, and uh, that uh, if you are an author um, and you are uh, you want that audience and you want that audience to grow and you have some followers who are using book talk to talk about your novel uh, you've you've got it made um, it's amazing and, and then the other thing about just regular TikTok, I guess is the millions of dollars millions that these uh, that that young people are, are making uh, off of uh, commercials and, and, and off of uh, advertising a certain brand or wearing a certain tennis shoe. And then that company pays them and they, they have this huge following. So it's sort of hard to avoid it. Is it not? If you really want to make it in the world, whether it's business or, or show business or whether it's documentary production, I mean, there, you want, you want eyes on your, on the product, on the subject, how do you do that without going all out with social media? Well, you're absolutely correct on that. The use of social media to market oneself or one's talents or one's whatever you're trying to sell is an absolute necessity in our environment now. It is absolutely necessary. Um, And so I don't think it's avoidable. Um, I think what is avoidable is how you use content. how, how often, well, I'm sorry, how, as a consumer, I think what the problem areas are, you know, how often are you on these platforms? What are you using them for? Um, I've, we, I've done some research too, into like things like depression and things like that. And you, you tend to have uh, with involving social media use and there's high rates of depression in people 
that use social media passively, which means they scroll, but they don't interact with people. Like they may be on Facebook, but they're not talking to people. They're just lurking as some people call it. And so, um, so, uh, cause you, when you see all this stuff you don't have, or you see these other people experiencing things that you're not, you know, everybody puts their best face forward. It's a negative impact on the person. And so I, I, I personally think social media, uh, as a whole, is a net negative on our society and we're worse off for it. But the, the unfortunate reality is if you are involved in any kind of professional industry or business, you have or to nonprofit. Have a, yeah. Not, but you have to have a presence on it because there is a lot of good that comes from it. Right. And, and I, I'll say this too, I think, you know, it's not going anywhere. And so, uh, you know, we need, we need positive people on there. We need people using social media in the way it was meant to be used, you know, yeah. Um, you know, and so, so that's the, that's the weird situation we're in. Cause you know, basically, I mean, most people's social media platforms of choice become echo chambers for the things they want to hear and say, it's not a good, even though it's a useful tool in getting out, you know, the truth, we've also seen it be used as a useful tool in getting out the mistruths. And so, you oh, know, sure. people choose, you know, you, you're going to, you you, you just, you know, and that's the problem and, and nobody really wants to have room for nuance. It's not a good place for nuanced conversation. And it's had a net, I think a net negative impact on our society, but I don't want to be too negative in this conversation, but I agree <laughs> with you. It's, it's, or as you've mentioned, it is, it is an absolute necessity if you want to have uh, produce a book or whatever. And we've talked before other people who say they can't get book deals because they don't have enough Twitter followers and, yeah. and certain platforms are good for certain things. You know, mm -hmm. uh, people in the film industry, the broadcast news industry, they still seem to be the heaviestly most heaviest involved on Twitter. And so that's where I'm mostly at, you know um, that's where I interact more regularly. Um, so, you know, I, uh, but it's, it's, it's a, it's a crazy world we live in and you, we just have to adjust on the fly. And, uh, if for those of us involved in, in, you know, content production of any kind and learn the new platforms, learn who's using them for what reasons and find ways to reach audiences, whether it's to sell a book that we wrote or to, uh, uh, help a company highlight a, uh, uh, a new porter potty they're trying to sell. So <laughs> it, it all varies. <laughs> uh, Andrew Reed's our guest on the Think Humanities podcast. And we promised our listeners uh, earlier, uh, uh, Andrew, that one of the films uh, that you made and, and got some eyes on it, uh, whether social media was around at that time or not, uh, was uh, about your hometown named Phil Campbell. And uh, which is, I mean, there are many, many hometowns named after people, but I'm trying to think of of a hometown right now or, or of a town that that that, that has both the uh, the proper name, the first and last name. And I'm sure there are plenty and people will will think, oh, well, he didn't say, but I can't think of one uh, uh, right now. But anyway, Phil Campbell, it's it's uh, you made this film and we, of course, can't see it on the podcast, but we can uh, listen to uh, the words and the trailer that you put together. And uh, is there anything else you want to say about uh, your documentary on Phil Campbell? I think we'll let the trailer do the talking and then we'll clarify anything needs to be said. It's just under two minutes. Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. And sometimes you want to go where your name is the place you go. For years, I've been obsessed with a town in Alabama called Phil Campbell, which is my name. I announced right on the spot, I am bringing back all the Phil Campbells to Phil Campbell, Alabama. People from all over the country saying, let's do it. Let's have a convention of Phil Campbells 
in Phil Campbell Hall, Alabama. This is gonna be the biggest media storm this town has ever seen. Phil Campbell three to nine, to nine one one. I got rotation coming through Phil Campbell right now. Can it run out of It's a boy safe! Wreckage everywhere, uptorn trees, overthrown cars, houses gone, people missing. Bad, really bad. This was suddenly a serious relief effort, not a vacation. Hi, I'm Phil Campbell. And I'm committed to helping the town of Phil Campbell. I'm Philip Campbell, and I'm committed to helping the town of Phil Campbell. I was just shocked to find out that they're still wanting to come. This virtual community became a real community. This stunt became something meaningful. All right, that's Andrew Reed's uh, production of Phil Campbell. And what uh, was the date on that, uh, Andrew? So um, that film uh, was released in 2014, mid to late 2014, but we shot it. We started filming in early 2011. Uh, the convention of Phil, the tornado hit in um, um, April 27th, 2011, and then the convention happened um, later uh, that, that summer there in June. Uh, and I think we had an early cut of the film that showed in 2012 at the George Lindsay UNA Film Festival in my undergrad. And then we uh, worked on it, though, for several more years and made a lot of changes and did the, the, the proper release of the film, the final version in, in mid to late 2014. You um, to tell me the condition of the of the town today uh, after almost 10 years. Uh, the condition of the town today is 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 much better. Uh, there were a lot of uh, areas that were destroyed and wiped out. Uh, significant damage was done. I, I believe uh, 27 people died in the county of mm -hmm. uh, Franklin County, and uh, uh, quite a few of those people there were, majority of them were in Phil Campbell that died, and also a large number in East Franklin, an adjacent community. Um, the, the, the tornado also hit uh, a town called Haleyville that, uh, that was south uh west of phil campbell hit them before it came into our town it's in a different county though um and so the the condition of the town right now is is uh, the infrastructure is much better uh the, the school which was destroyed was was rebuilt um we've uh, also had a, a beautiful park put in uh there there's a lot of improvements um there's still not a lot of um I think restaurants in town. Uh, I think I mentioned that earlier. We had one restaurant when I was growing up. It burned down. I think it was it was spared for the tornado, but then it burned down uh, like a year later. And uh, and there, I don't even think there's a restaurant in the city limits now, which is wild. There is one right outside, but uh, that may be crazy for some people to hear. You know, an incorporated <laughs> town, and we have a community. That's even crazier. See that com the community college is just a, m a few miles outside of the town. It's it's within the city limits. I want to say. And it's the first community college in the state. Uh, and that is right there in town, but there's no restaurant in city limits. It's kind of crazy. Was that your uh, video of the storm? No, it was not. So um, I was living in Phil Campbell at the time that this happened. I had came, I came back from uh, 
my master's at University of Alabama, Tuscaloosa, and I was living with my parents and I was teaching as an adjunct professor at UNA, University of North Alabama, teaching video production. And I started making this film far before the tornado ever happened. I'd heard about this guy. I'd always knew this story, but there was this guy from New York named Phil Campbell that came to the town. He found out about it after watching an episode of Hee Haw. You know, in Hee Haw, they used to do a salute. <laughs> they saluted Phil Campbell. And he was like watching it with his friends. And he was like, what? They said my name. There's a town uh -huh. with my name. And he was a, a writer, uh, I think, for a newspaper at the time. And so he had a um, he uh, he uh, went down and I think did a story about it and uh, got access to a database that listed all the Phil Campbells in the U.S. And so he had a convention for him in the 90s and it was on Ripley's Believe It or Not and all this stuff. And he wanted to do it again in 2011 using the power of Facebook and have an international convention and so he had hoped to i think he found 200 plus fills and we'd hope for a, a big turnout and and i'd film some stuff in town um the the most the craziest thing i think that happens in the film is you know the the tornado is a twist in the film but not in the trailer you know so if you've seen the trailer it's um the storyline you know you know what's coming but the craziest thing that probably happened in that film was i think a week or two prior to the tornado coming we were filming a planning meeting in sitting hall and they were showing the, the design for the shirt the hoedown shirt that is called the phil campbell hoedown every year they have this hoedown and then this year the the, the phils were wanting to come and have their convention during the hoedown mm -hmm. they had a shirt design that had a tornado on it and they said that this is a throwback to when we were the uh, phil campbell tornadoes that used to be the old mascot and they were like, oh, that's weird. And so we, in the film, they're talking about this and we kind of fade to black and then we fade out with the uh, tornado warning and mm -hmm. stuff and the, the, the on TV news. And then we go to the, the, the shot is, is from, um, I, I want to, uh, I'm, I'm trying to remember the officer's name. I know his name. It's mm -hmm. slipping me right now, but he filmed it there in, inside the police station of the tornado uh, hitting and uh, I think Mays is his last name. Shout out yeah. to him. Uh, but he filmed it there. Do you still show that uh, to your students? And uh, proudly so. And, and uh, are, there, are there places in the film where you, you make points about film production? Uh, so uh, I like to show my students uh, my work sometimes just so they know, you know, who who's teaching them and that they, you know, have experience doing this, not to, you know, toot my horn too much or say that everything mm -hmm. I make is amazing or perfect. Yeah. That's not the case. There's flaws in everything and that you make. And, um, you know, I'm a perfectionist. So um, but uh, I will occasionally I, I usually show short form work more frequently. A lot of times I'll show my short films more than my feature films. I really I don't think I've really shown the full line with Phil to most of my students. Mm -hmm. Um, I have a lot of bulk DVDs left that I didn't sell that I, I, can, I can give them. But I think, though, for those that want to watch the film, it's um, I know it's on Amazon Prime. And if you have a Prime account, you can watch for free. And it was on Tubi not long ago. It may still be on Tubi, T-U-B-I. Yeah. That's free. Uh -huh. and it was on Canopy as well. But wow. I show it sometimes and show my own work to show, hey, you know, I yeah. did this wrong. Look at this, you know, and, you know, but this is how I did this. And usually they like it and they're impressed with it. <laughs> but, now, uh, have you started a a um, um, a film uh, a convention uh, at Upike festival. Yes, so uh, my festival. First year, excuse me. Yes, yeah. My first year, we and we put on a couple of different film events at Upike a year. I can get into that, but the main event we do for the community and Eastern Kentucky in general is the Upike Film and Media Arts Festival. 
And so it's usually a three or four day event, a multi-day event showcasing films that have been submitted to us for consideration. And we show the best stuff we get in. And typically we'll show about a fifth or so of the submissions. I think this year we had about 230 film submissions wow. and, um, and screenplays. Mm-hmm. So we, we take screenplays too, but we, we are free to submit to um, if you if you are from the tri-state region of Kentucky, Virginia, West Virginia, because we're right there on that border. Um, or if you're if you're from that area, you live in that area, or your film has a connection to that area, we'll take it for free. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's a it's a small fee to submit, as is the case with most film festivals. But we try to showcase um, predominantly regional work and be a hub for uh, filmmakers in our area to network with each other, meet each other, support each other's work. And I think that's what we do best. And so we always typically have had a good turnout of regional filmmakers, and we just finished our eighth eighth year of the festival the first in-person one uh in i guess uh, we had two online prior so i guess it was three years in three years that was the first in-person one we had so were you impressed with uh, the submissions and the winners oh yeah every year it seems like the quality of the work gets better and better it, it, um, especially the feature films that we really had a lot of solid feature films that were made uh this past year and so it's really amazing to see the quality work that's coming out of the region and I'm just happy to have a way for my students to connect with those filmmakers and those filmmakers to connect with each other. Well, Andrew Reed, uh, professor uh, and uh, documentarian, uh, filmmaker um, extraordinaire, um, and also a member of our board of directors at Kentucky Humanities. Uh, you're uh, full of uh, energy and ideas, and uh, we uh, so enjoy having you Uh, and this association that uh, we have with you uh, at Kentucky Humanities. Just want to say good luck to you for the rest of the summer. We'll see you in the fall, and uh, we hope everything uh, works out as students uh, return and you get back into the class. Uh, But enjoy yourself for a while. Uh, A few more home projects, uh, if you have those to do, and maybe even some filmmaking that you can uh, uh, do before then, before you have to get back to work. Absolutely. And if I could, I give a couple of shout outs here. Uh, Please before we wrap up uh, just two, two things to, I wanted to get across. If anybody's interested in the film program I run at UPike, they can email me at Andrew Reed at UPike.edu or they can go to UPike.edu and explore our website to find out more about us. And the other shout out I want to give is to our film festival website. It is FMAFest.org. And from there, you can find us on Film Freeway. If you've ever submitted films or screenplays before, Film Freeway is the most popular hub that's used uh, to submit content. So if you're looking for audiences and you're a screenwriter or a filmmaker, uh, join Film Freeway and uh, make an account for your, your project. And you can look up work and submit. And we'll start taking submissions by September of this year for our next festival, which should be in April 2022, uh, 2023. So. Great. All right, Andrew. Thanks so much for joining us and appreciate it and uh, have a good uh, rest of the summer. Hey, thank you, Bill. I appreciate it. Think Humanities is a podcast from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's story for 50 years. Think Humanities is available at kyhumanities.org, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Join us next week for a new episode of Think Humanities.